Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hi there. Welcome back. So this is my first solo episode in a while, and I wanted to let you know that while I have been doing interviews twice a month for a while now, from now on, you will be hearing from me every week. And twice a month, I will be doing solo shows like this. I'm going to try and rotate them, alternate them, um, it, guest episode, interview, and then me. But we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but seriously, thank you for tuning in and spending this time with me. I so appreciate you being here. As of this recording, over 15,000 of you tune into this podcast every month, and that number rises each month, which means you are not alone. So if you're not already in my Facebook group, you need to hop on over to Facebook and join us so that you can gather in community with all of these other women who are going through exactly what you're going through. Uh, I promise, because I hear from them every day. So the link to join the Facebook group is in the show notes. And just a quick sidebar, this group is for women only. Sorry, guys. So this week, I am bringing you a training that I actually did as a webinar last year. And it's about whether or not you should stay in your marriage for your kids. Now, this is a biggie, and it's something that we struggle with. It's, it's a huge one, right? And I, and I hear it all the time. Of course I do. It's literally the biggest conundrum that we all face. So... If you've been mulling this particular question as much as I was 11, 12 years ago, uh, I know you're feeling a lot of uncertainty about your future, about your present. Uh, you've probably heard horror stories and maybe people in your family and your community are telling you you're selfish for even thinking about leaving and you think surely you should just suck it up and stay for your kids. And despite everything everyone's saying more than anything else, you just want to know that whatever you choose your kids are going to be okay. Because as a mom, you put them first in everything. Every move you make for yourself, for your life, you put through the filter of what's best for my kids. Every decision in your life from the day you became a mother became about your kids. So how can you possibly make a decision about your marriage without putting them first? without considering how this will affect them, without the deepest fear that if you decide to leave your marriage, you are going to break them. So if the idea of leaving is just as terrifying as the idea of staying, what should you do? So in this podcast today, I'm going to reveal three vital truths about whether or not leaving your marriage will screw up your kids. And then I'm going to dig deeply into each one of them. So I'm going to give you a brief overview of those three truths first, and then we're going to get really deeply into them. Um, we're going to have, going to present science, science and statistics and all sorts of shit about each one. So stay tuned. So here we go. So truth number one is that you deserve to be happy. Now, if you've been hanging around me for a while, you've heard me say this a lot. 
but I don't think that I can stress it enough. Uh, Like I said, we're going to get into this in more detail in a bit, but I want you to, and and really we're going to get into why that matters for your children, because it does. But I want you to really try this on for size right now. And I even want you to write it down if you can, if you're not driving. Um, Write down the words, I deserve to be happy. And I want you to notice your first reaction to these words. They might might seem obvious or surfacey, like, of course I deserve to be happy. What is she a nut? Or maybe the idea is so foreign that you can barely write it down. The longer you sit with these words, the more profound they become. And I want them to settle into your bones as truth. And I want you to notice where you're resisting this notion that you deserve to be happy. Like I said, we're going to go more deeply into this in a minute, but right now I want to move on to truth number two, which is that divorce doesn't screw up kids. How we do divorce screws up kids. And as we get into this episode, I'm going to prove this statement with a ton of statistics from psychological studies, as well as a mini expose of the family law system. The truth is that the litigation and family law systems are designed to put your kids in the middle and to railroad your divorce and your kids' mental health for its own financial gain. And when we get deep, deep, deep into this truth, I'll tell you exactly how to avoid that. Truth number three, two separate homes are far more healthy for children than one toxic and unhappy home. In this episode, I'm going to uncover some of the sub-truths to this, including busting the myth that you need to stay married in order to control a narcissistic parent who may not treat your kids well. If this is one of your concerns, stay tuned because I gotcha. So before we get into all of this, I want to tell you a little bit about my story. And, you know, I realize that many of you may not know my, my sort of the full broad strokes of my story. It may it's been a while since I've told it on the podcast. And if you're newer to me, you know, you might not really know a lot about me. So I, so I want to tell you about my story because actually I think you'll relate to it. Um, and I think you'll be able to hear your experience in mine. So for those of you who are newer to me, um, or don't know, I am a certified coach who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages. Uh, I am also a divorce coach and I help women through the process if they decide to go. Um, I'm widely known as an expert in interpersonal communication and emotional intelligence. I spent a few years working as a consultant to Fortune 500 companies training their senior VPs in communication and emotional intelligence, among other things. And you may know me as the host of this podcast. (laughs) Um, And I'm also a mom who struggled with all of the same questions you're struggling with now 10 years ago when my son was just three years old. Uh, Actually, now it's like 11 years old because he's 14. So let me give you, tell you a little bit about that. So while my husband and I looked like the perfect couple on the outside, my marriage was full of a ridiculous amount of volatility. Long story short, I was in an emotionally abusive marriage, and I was deeply codependent. As with most emotionally abusive situations, I was manipulated into believing that I was the problem. And since I was so codependent, I would do anything to try to fix myself in order to fix my marriage. My husband and I were both in, we were in couples therapy together. We were also in group couples therapy. Yes, that is a thing. Uh, I was also in my own therapy with another therapist, as was my husband, and we were both in 12-step programs. 
And we were both in various personal development programs at the time. So there was a lot of work happening to save this marriage, but it only seemed to be getting worse. And I couldn't understand why. I truly didn't know what to do. I believed our therapists when they said that anything could be solved in couples therapy. I believed one of our therapists who was a children's specialist when she told us that it was better for children to be raised by two unhappy parents than for the parents to separate. I believed my husband when he pointed out my flaws and showed how if I just behave in certain ways, everything would be okay. I really believe that every relationship is 100%, 100%, not 50-50. So if I gave it 100%, I would be able to control it and it would all work out in the end. But despite all of this work, I was still drowning in the depths of despair. And I really needed someone to tell me, should I stay or should I go? I needed a burning bush. I needed someone to take me by the hand and tell me what the fuck to do. I had been moving through my life, my marriage, motherhood, all of it in a numb dream vacantly staring into closets, sinks of dishes, grocery store aisles. This is who I was now. I was like a Stepford wife. I was blonde and blue-eyed and pretty. I had a beautiful house, a luxury car, a very full bank account. I was on a hit TV show at the time. But somehow I wasn't there. And everybody knew it but me. And it was during one of these vacant staring sessions that it hit me. And it was like a cast iron skillet hitting me in the head. And suddenly I was more awake than I had been for years because suddenly I knew. I knew that I had to leave my marriage and not just to save me from mindlessly meandering through my days, getting lost in closets and grocery aisles. I had to do it for my son. We're told over and over again that we have to stay for our kids. The children from, quote, broken homes, a term I loathe, by the way, do less well in school, are damaged, grow up to have poor coping and relationship skills, and become drug addicts and alcoholics. So we try. And then we try harder. We bend ourselves into pretzels trying to make this square peg fit into that round hole come hell or high water, because if we don't, our children will suffer, and we will have failed. At marriage, at parenting, at life. And in that moment, while I was vacantly staring into my closet, I saw clearly that what my husband and I were modeling to our son wasn't what I wanted him to grow up to have for himself. That while I had this vision of myself as being a strong and powerful woman, I was actually anything but. I knew that my son would grow up to be controlling and critical and abusive and that he'd choose small, meek, compliant women to prey upon. And I knew that the only way this young, innocent child had any chance at creating a happy, lasting, loving relationship in the future was for me to get out of my marriage now. In that moment, I knew that my husband and I brought out the worst in each other and that individually, we probably weren't the people that we became together. I knew that staying in our marriage was keeping us from finding people we actually liked and whom we could create meaningful, trusting bonds with. And that if we could find that outside of each other, 
our son would have a chance at finding that for himself down the line. And I knew that if we stayed together, he stood absolutely zero chance of that. Here's the thing. I'd always thought that if I was just a better communicator, if I was just smarter or skinnier, taller, prettier, funnier, took more responsibility, lowered my voice, raised my boobs, shrunk my hips, did more crafts, cooked better, had more interesting hobbies, then I'd be enough. Turns out I had been enough all along and the one person who didn't know it was me. Because if I'd known it, the first time my husband told me that I wasn't enough, I would have walked out the door. Which brings me right to truth number one. You deserve to be happy. As women, and especially as moms, we're conditioned to put everyone else's needs before our own. Traditionally, we are the nurturers and the caretakers, and we have been putting our needs, ourselves, our hearts, and our spirits on the back burner for a long-ass time. And often we wear this as a badge of honor. But we all secretly know that it's an oppressive weight around our necks that we just can't hold up for another second. A client once told me that she learned to walk on eggshells around her husband because she was afraid of how he might react. She was afraid of what he'd think or do or say. He was not abusive in any way. She wasn't in danger, but she learned to tailor her habits so as not to upset him. She said she was afraid of rocking the boat. And after some discussion, I said, if you're afraid of rocking the boat, it's probably not your boat. How many of us have been adrift in someone else's boat? How many of us have been tailoring our habits and activities so as not to upset someone else? Having sex when we don't want to, having less or more sex than we want to be having, having the wrong kind of sex, eating food we don't like, losing weight, gaining weight, getting our boobs done, modulating our voices, cleaning up other people's messes, feeling stifled, all so we don't rock someone else's boat. We've given over pieces of ourselves, inch by inch, pound by pound. We've given someone else our power, whether it be our mother, our father, our husband, our boss, often all of the above. Often we've given our over our entire lives, also we don't rock someone else's boat. Well, let me ask you this right now. What if this was your boat? What if, just for today, you grabbed the oars and you rowed in the direction that you want to go? What if, just for today... You owned every piece of wood, every ounce of water dripping off of the oars, every rock and creak of the vessel in which you exist. Would you do anything differently? And if the answer is yes, then you may be in someone else's boat. And the truth of the matter is that you're allowed to build your own boat. Your happiness, your future, your fulfillment as a human, as a woman depends upon it. Interestingly, when my client learned to build and navigate her own boat, she was actually able to save her marriage. Building your own boat doesn't always mean ending your marriage. It could actually be the key to saving it. And here's the real truth about this whole thing that I need you to know. You're allowed to change. You're allowed to change the rules of the game no matter how long you've been playing it. You're allowed to grow. You're allowed to ask your partner to help you change the game that you're playing if it no longer works for you. Part of the human condition is growth and change. And just as you would want that for your kids, you get to have it for yourself. 
The real question is whether or not you have a partner who's open enough to allow and support and join you in that growth and not feel threatened by it. Because as Mary Oliver said, this is your one wild and precious life. You get one chance at this. And my guess is that if anyone else in your life that you deeply care about told you how miserable they were, you'd beg them to make a change. You'd look them squarely in the face and tell them that they deserve to be happy. And so do you. Which brings me back to the subject of your kids. Do you want your kids to grow up abdicating their happiness for someone else's? Do you want to raise kids who grow into adults who live on other people's boats? My guess is hell fucking no. But our kids emulate more of what they see in us than what we tell them to do. We can say we want them to be strong and confident all we want, but if they see us as the opposite, guess what they're going to absorb more than anything else? We can tell them to eat their veggies till we're blue in the face, but if all they see us eat is pizza and potato chips, guess what? These kids are not eating any veggies. When you get on a plane, they tell you to put your own oxygen mask on before you put your kids on. That's because if you don't provide oxygen for yourself first, you won't be able to help your kids. You could very well die before you get their masks on, which helps no one. You've heard the phrase that you can't pour from an empty cup. That's what this is. This is you filling up your cup first, putting your own oxygen mask on first, so that you can then help your kids to breathe freely and drink from their own full cups. We all know the statistics that about 50% of marriages in the U.S. end in divorce, but did you know that 68% of second marriages also end in divorce? And that 74% of third marriages suffer the same fate? My research and my body of work suggests that the divorce rate for second and third marriages is higher because we don't do the work on ourselves to figure out what went wrong the first time around. We blame our exes for everything that went wrong, and then we turn around and we repeat the same patterns over and over and over again, all the while blaming our trail of exes for our relationship failures and damaging our children in the process. Look, even if your husband is one raving motherfucker, seeing your part and understanding how you came to choose this kind of man, taking responsibility for the red flags that you might have missed along the way, all of this will empower you and ensure that you don't repeat these patterns over and over and over again. There's literally no greater gift that you can give to your children than that. Owning your own shit is one of the greatest forms of self-love, and it drives you towards peace, clarity, and happiness. And remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy. So do you see how your happiness is actually vital for your kids' future happiness, and that staying miserable is doing them no favors in the long run? If you get one thing from this podcast today, let it be that. Hey, guys. I want to take a quick break here because I want to tell you about a co-parenting app that I have been testing out and I absolutely love. The FAIR app, it's F-A-Y-R, is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. And I am so excited to be partnering with FAIR on the podcast today. 
This app is so cool, not just because it's app-based, so it's always at your fingertips, and not just because it's made with the user experience in mind, so it's super pretty and intuitive, but really because of all that you can do with it. So here's a sampling of some of the things that you can do on the FAIR app. There's a time-sharing calendar, so you can track custody. You can exchange days and never forget special events like soccer games or birthday parties. There's documentable text messaging so that if you communicate through the app, it stores everything for you. There's an expense tracker so you can monitor expenses, upload receipts, and just generally track all of the kids' spending all of the kid spending. But here's my favorite part. FAIR has a GPS check-in that is a court-verifiable way to document your presence at all GPS-verified locations. What this means is that no one can accuse you of not being where you said you'd be with your kids because the app will prove that you were there. How cool is that for high-conflict cases? There's a monthly parenting report that tells you unequivocally what percentage of custody you had that month, along with tons of other things. There's a private journal to take notes, add photos, and screenshots. You guys are constantly asking me how to store the screenshots that you take. Here it is. Um, There's also a file vault so you can keep all your records. You can export all of your records. And there's a Spanish version of the app as well. So the best part about this amazing app is that they've come on as a sponsor of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. And as a loyal listener, they are offering you 20% off of your subscription. So here's what you got to do. You got to go to befair.com, B-E-F-A-Y-R.com. When you subscribe, use the code KANTHONY, that's me, (laughs) my first initial and last name, and you'll get 20% off. Then you're going to download the FAIR app from the App Store or Google Play right there on the website, and your life will immediately become 150% easier. Now, of course, if you can't remember all this, you know it's all in the show notes. What you need to remember is that you can lose the he said, she said, and be the best parent that you can be. Be FAIR, F-A-Y-R. Okay, now let's get back to our episode. So let's move on to truth number two. Truth number two is that divorce doesn't screw up your kids. How we do divorce screws up kids. So many people think that kids whose parents get divorced end up drug addicts and high school dropouts. If I had a dollar for every time someone came to me and said, my mother said, my husband said, my kid's going to become a crack addict, I'd be very rich. There's a ton of mythology around this. And I want to take some time to examine some deeper intricacies around this myth. Um, There's recently an article in Scientific American entitled, Is Divorce Bad for Children? And it looks at scientific studies of both the short-term and the long-term effects of divorce in children. Uh, Regarding the short-term effects, the article states, divorce affects most children in the short run, but research suggests that kids recover rapidly after the initial blow. In a 2002 study, psychologist E. Mavis Hetherington of the University of Virginia and her then-graduate student Anne Mitchell Elmore found that many children experience short-term negative effects from divorce, but that these reactions typically diminish or disappear by the end of the second year. Only a minority of kids suffer longer. The article goes on to talk about the long-term effects and says most children of divorce do well in the longer term. 
In a quantitative review of the literature in 2001, sociologist Paul R. Amato, then at Penn State University, examined the possible effects on children several years after a divorce. The studies compared children of married parents with those who experienced divorce at different ages. The investigators followed these kids into later childhood, adolescence, or their teenage years, assessing their academic achievement, emotional and behavioral problems, delinquency, self-concept, and social relationships. On average, the studies found only very small differences on all of these measures between children of divorced parents and those from intact families, suggesting that the vast majority of children endure divorce quite well. So there you have it. If you stay or if you go, there's not a whole lot of difference in how your kids turn out, statistically speaking. Now, yes, your kids are going to be affected. I'm not going to be Pollyanna-ish about this. Of course they will. But they won't be permanently damaged. And if you help them get through the turbulence by providing emotional support, especially therapy if needed, they will get through it. Some studies have been done that suggest that children of divorce grow up to have troubles in relationships um, of their own when they grow up. And there's often a leap to conclude that divorce is the cause. But here's what I found. Usually, kids of divorce who grow up to have troubled relationships as adults have had have been put in the middle of nasty divorces. They have parents who didn't do the real work on themselves that's required to mitigate their personal issues. And it's these very issues that led them to choosing unhealthy partners and then have nasty divorces in the first place. So it's nasty and bitter divorces that screw up kids. It's it's divorces that put children in the middle of a legal battle that they should never be in because their parents simply can't deal with their own pain, anger, or resentment in healthy ways. I believe that almost all divorces could be collaboratively mediated if only the litigation system didn't prey on our pain. So let me explain what I mean a little bit. So before going into mediation with my husband, I consulted a divorce attorney to better understand my legal rights. I needed to know what to even ask for once we got into mediation. In the U.S., there are two factors that are considered when calculating child support, which differs slightly in uh, from state to state. But generally speaking, um, this is how it's figured out. Uh, one is income differential, and the other is percentage of custody. So because of this, the first thing the attorney that I consulted with wanted me to do was to accuse my husband of being an unfit parent. This way, I could get more custody and thereby more child support. And then the attorney would make a killing out of using my son as a pawn in his fabricated fight. So I walked out of that attorney's office with a basic understanding of what I was legally entitled to and a horrible taste in my mouth about where this man wanted to take my divorce. And I knew that had I been slightly more vulnerable, slightly more angry, and slightly more vindictive, I could easily have been persuaded to put my son in the middle of my nasty divorce. A few months later, my ex and I met with our mediator, and the very first question he asked us was, do you want to put your child in the middle of your divorce or at the center of it? And that one question changed everything for us and set my ex and I on the path to lifelong collaboration in service of our son. As I've been working in this field for the last 10 years, I've heard numerous stories like this, 
One attorney I work with recounted a story of being on a panel at a divorce conference with a mediator and two litigators. And the attorney asked of the litigators, how do you know when to stop litigating? And their answer was, when the money runs out. In other words, no matter how many possible solutions presented themselves along the way, litigators will continue, or can, some of them, continue to litigate until they can no longer be paid. And once the well runs dry, they'll find a solution, likely one that had presented itself months and thousands of dollars before. And in the meantime, litigators add fuel to an already emotional fire, fanning the flames of anger and revenge and putting kids squarely in the middle of the divorce process, all for their own financial gain. Another attorney I work with told me the story of when she and her opposing counsel had almost come to an agreement in court. When suddenly her opposing counsel brought up a totally unnecessary point, which put a stop to the case they were about to close. And when my colleague saw her opposing counsel in the hallway after court, she asked her what the hell happened. And the opposing counsel replied, I haven't even made my retainer yet. And so a bitter litigation followed, putting the kids in that case smack in the middle of a nasty fight, the truth of which both parties probably knew very little about. So here's the deal. That will screw up your kid. Being used as a pawn in an unnecessary fight, being used as a weapon to exact revenge, being told that one of their parents, one half of them, is a piece of garbage or otherwise bad-mouthing someone they deeply love, that will have devastating effects on your kids. Having an amicable split where personal responsibility is at the core where blame and shame and nastiness is kept at bay, where forgiveness and collaboration are the priority, all with the intent of putting your children at the center of every decision you make, that's not going to screw up your kids. That's going to show them how to manage conflict and loss in healthy, mature ways. And let's face it, that is probably one of the most valuable life lessons anyone can give their kids. How you do your divorce can do some real damage. So it's incredibly important for you to do some serious work to mitigate your resentments before they get in the way and before the litigation system latches onto them and drags your kids through a bitter and nasty fight. Now, at this point, I'm pretty sure I've got you on board with this and Because once you examine it, it's kind of a no-brainer. But what if you have a totally vindictive husband or spouse who's swearing up and down that he's going to make this as difficult for you as possible? Well, this tells me that you've got some serious toxicity in your marriage, which brings us right up to the door of truth number three, which is that two separate homes are far more healthy for children than one toxic and unhappy home. I mean, this is really the crux of it, right? The belief that one home, no matter how unhappy, is better for kids is why we stay. Hell, it's what I had a therapist telling me when I was struggling with this. Except as you can see from the studies I quoted earlier that the research really doesn't back this up. Nor, frankly, does my personal experience and my own clinical research. And in fact, there's significant research to support the fact that having two homes, even if only one of them is a healthy one, is far better for kids than living in one hellhole. Children who are raised in highly highly volatile households can suffer from PTSD and other emotional scars. 
Their imprinting around relationships is permanently damaged, and they will be guaranteed to continue the cycle of unhealthy relationships for another generation. These are the kids that may turn to self-medicating, which is, you know, which leads them to drugs and alcohol and that kind of stuff. So a clinical psychologist I work with and have as a guest expert in my program says that staying with an emotionally abusive narcissist so that you can at least be there to mitigate, mitigate the issues and run interference for the kids is not a healthy solution for children. She says that even if your kids have to be alone with the narcissist half of the week, they'll be completely away the other half of the week. Whereas they're with the narcissist 100% of the time if you stay. And if you stay, you're unintentionally co-signing this behavior. You're saying it's okay. You're saying that it's not worth leaving. And if you leave, you can truly create a loving, safe environment for your kids to grow up in. Even if it's 50% of the time, they will have that as a guidepost and a model for their futures. And this goes for what we're talking about before. If your husband chooses to go down a destructive divorce path and makes damaging decisions about how he chooses to interact with your kids around this divorce, if you keep your side of the street squeaky clean, they have a model for that 50% of the time. And that really is enough. I have a good friend who co-parents with a malignant narcissist. His daughter is eight or nine at this point. And because she's because he has created such a loving and stable and sane home at his house, she's already able to articulate, his daughter is able to articulate how different it is at mommy's house and why. Now, he is supportive and he validates his daughter's feelings and her experience without bad-mouthing her mother, which in this case is nothing short of a fucking miracle. And his daughter's therapist recently pointed out that she's not going to be eight or nine forever. Soon she'll be a teenager and then an adult. And his solo parenting will have a far bigger impact on her than had he stayed in his highly volatile and abusive marriage. So my advice to clients is always to keep your own side of the street squeaky clean. And someone recently asked me what I mean when I say this. What I mean is that no matter what he does, you act with integrity within yourself. I mean that no matter how much someone is working hard to push your buttons, you work harder to keep your cool. And when you lose it, and you will, you clean it up even if it means saying sorry to someone that you hate. I mean that you act in such a way that when your kids grow up, they will look back and they will see the truth, regardless of what your ex might be telling you or them now. I mean that you act in line with your personal values in such a way that when you lay your head on your pillow at night, you don't regret your words or your actions. And if you do, and you might, You work to make it better the next day. The more you can do this, the more that your kids will understand and appreciate it as they grow up. So no matter how messy the other side of the street is, if your kids always have a safe and soft place to land with you, you've done all you can do. And that will have a lasting impact on the rest of their lives. You cannot control what another person does, but you have complete control over how you behave. Now, even if your marriage isn't volatile, even if you're not in an emotionally abusive situation, does all of this still apply? 
Yes, because you deserve to be happy and your children deserve to be for you to be happy. Now, are there situations when leaving your marriage might be dangerous for you and your kids? Yes, absolutely. And I need to be very responsible and clear about this. If you or your children are in any physical danger, you must call your local domestic violence shelter immediately to seek help. This is an alarming statistic I'm about to tell you, but I need to tell you because I'd be irresponsible if I didn't. 75% of women who are murdered by their batterers are killed when they leave. This does not mean that you should stay, but it means that you must seek outside help to get you and your children to safety. So this is far beyond the scope of the work that I do. So you need to call the local domestic violence hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or look up the website, which is uh, thehotline.org. Okay, so up until now, you have been feeling lost and confused. I get it. Uh, You're probably feeling, you also might be feeling guilty and selfish for even considering leaving, yet completely overwhelmed with feelings of suffocation and terror if you stay. I get it. I couldn't get it more. I was I was there myself. So at this point, you've got two options. On the one hand, you can keep going as you've been going. You can keep whistling past the graveyard. Maybe you've already been drinking more and more, taking more and more Xanax, eating your feelings, ending each day with a pint of Haagen-Dazs, And you can keep going on with all of that. Or you can start to dig into everything you need to know in order to make this decision once and for all. You can take necessary and vital steps to stop your confusion, to get answers to your most pressing questions, and to get clarity and perspective. And to make change that will impact your family for generations to come. So I think you can guess which one I'm rooting for for you. (laughs) I believe that you're following me and you're listening to my podcast right now because you are ready for change. You're ready to find answers and to finally have peace of mind. You're tired of the cycle of thoughts that keep you up at night and the accompanying depression and anxiety they produce. As I said, I know what that's like. I was there for so long and I don't want you to be there for another minute. I want to help you find the answers you're looking for. This is literally why I created my program, Should I Stay or Should I Go? So if you have been looking for a burning bush, praying for signs from God, spirit guides, animal guides, Morgan Freeman, whatever, (laughs) then Should I Stay or Should I Go was literally made for you. This program is a roadmap to absolute clarity and peace of mind. It's not just about figuring out if you should stay or go. It's about making sure that you heal from your past and you make healthy choices from a place of deep self-worth and knowing that you're worthy of love and happiness no matter what. Remember when I told you that you deserve to be happy like 457 times during the course of this podcast? (laughs) My program will help you find that for yourself. Now, I don't want this podcast episode to turn into a sales pitch, so I'm going to leave it at that. But I would be super remiss if I didn't offer you the help that I have painstakingly created for you. So if you're interested in joining the growing community of women already going through this program, getting answers and finding clarity, you're going to find a link to the program in the show notes. And that is all I'm going to say about that. Okay, that's it for today's episode. 
I want to thank you again for choosing to spend this time with me. I'm Kate Anthony, your divorce survival guide. And until next time, I will see you on Instagram and in my Facebook group. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.